You're listening to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. As usual, I am Rick and I'm here today with Anna, our new co-host. How are you doing today, Anna? I'm pretty good. How are you, Rick? Doing well, thank you. Uh, Just before we begin the episode, I just want to give one last heads up to everybody that this coming Saturday, March 28th, is going to be our Quest for Kidney fundraiser. I've been talking about it a lot recently, and finally it's upon us. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter for information. Uh, It is going to be a live stream on Twitch. We're going to be playing many different games for donations to benefit Stephen Alexander of Infamous Quests. He is uh, one of the devs behind Quest for Infamy and Order of the Thorn, both of which will be played on the stream. Other games include Quest for Glory 3 and Ultimate 8, which I'll be playing, Surgeon Simulator, which Anna will be playing, Sim Ant, Jones in the Fastlane, Typing of the Dead. I can't remember if I forget anything right now because I don't have the list in front of me, but it'll be uh, it- it'll be a pretty good time. We also have our friends over at the YouTube Adventure Roundtable joining us. They will be the ones who are playing order of the thorn and providing their own voice work for their playthrough so it's always entertaining if you've ever seen them do this before they have uh done various fundraisers of their own in the past and uh it's always they're a very entertaining group of people and i hope that we can be as entertaining for you as well so uh getting to this week's episode it's a little bit of a deep dig here uh we're talking about basically two games but basically similar enough that we can group them into one episode Both Anna and I are big fans of Ancient Art of War and Ancient Art of War at Sea. Anna particularly growing up with the first and I growing up with the latter. And it is still a game which, although heavily dated by the technology of the time, is one which, uh, uh, well, I'll speak for myself, I can definitely go back and play it like pretty much any time, even today. In fact, I did just, uh, I think it was just a couple months ago, I picked up Ancient Art of War at Sea again and uh, played through it and it was... um, uh, it was pretty good. I, th- I think I played on the easiest difficulty, got through that okay. I'm pretty sure it'd be still a big challenge if I played any harder than that. So yeah, it was pretty fun. But how, how about you? When was the last time you played Ancient Art of War? I popped it into the computer right off the uh, three and a half inch floppy when I got a copy of the big box from a very good friend of mine. Uh, I wanted to make sure that the disc worked. And you know what? It sounds just the same as it ever did. Yeah, because this is before like sound blasters and sound cards, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Throw in your sound blaster. Go ahead. It won't make a darn difference. It was um it, it's a little bit weird cuz I think uh I think these games were actually even designed for CGA like I think they might did they even have EGA at the time I can't oh, yeah, quite remember Oh yeah 16 color EGA graphics in they all did. of its okay. glory yeah this is 1987 <laughs> for mine I think yours came out in uh 1989 Ancient Art of War at Sea Uh I think they those might have been like their um uh, when they, you know, the the date of our particular copies, but I think they have been around since a little bit before. Um, mm. it looks like just doing a quick little fact check here. Ancient Art of War originally came out 1984, and the Ancient Art of War at Sea was 87. Good point. I think I played it a bit before 87. So yeah, that checks out. Yeah, I just um I just went and uh, grabbed the box down from my shelf just behind me and uh yeah, the uh the box art 
is already just so fantastic. Like it looks like something that you can put on a library shelf. Like it's just, uh, these things are just, it, it looks like something you would find at a bookstore more than a video game shop. Well, the, uh, the cover on the, uh, ancient art of war is actually a reproduction of the, now I don't know the pronunciation, Baluster, uh, a vase from the, uh, Qing dynasty. So uh, they they got permission from the museum to make a reproduction to put on the cover. Oh, that's cool. I did not know that. No, I I thought that was a pretty cool fact, actually. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I actually don't really have very many facts about either of these games because I actually did a little bit of research before the episode and there's not really a lot of information on them. Mm Hmm. Yeah, that's true. More information found on the actual box itself and within the books than on the internet, I found. Yeah. Is that where, did they actually say in the box contents that that's where the art was from? Yes. Oh, okay. I wonder what would happen if I actually ever read this manual. Hang on one second. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so when when did you first then play uh, Ancient Art of War? Well, it predates uh, when I started playing any Sierra games, uh, unless you count Donald Duck's Playground. Okay, so... Donald Duck's Playground in the Ancient Art of War led me through the latter half of the 80s. So probably 86 to 90 were the biggest years for those games for me. Okay. Uh, here we go. Right right on the uh, one of the first pages is the uh, kind of the references for the art that is used. So the cover of Ancient Art of War at sea is... Um, Fitzhugh Lane's The United States Frigate President Engaging the British Squadron, 1815. It is in the collection of the Corcoran Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. At least it was at the time. I don't know now. And it was a gift of Mr. and Mrs. Lancel K. Christie. Hmm. That was nice of them. Hmm. And it's beautiful. If you, like, I almost want people to just buy the box um, because it is just amazing shelf candy. Anytime I've looked it up, it's u- they're usually kind of one of the more affordable big box games that you can find out there these days. I don't think they're really the highest demand, but they're definitely uh, worth every penny, I would say. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is no flimsy box. I mean, this is a, this is a cardboard box that uh, that has very good uh, sharp corners on it. It's, uh, it's not the insert style box. At least mine's not. It's the kind where it opens up as a top flap and a bottom flap separately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful box. This is a um this is like a uh history textbook this manual that came with mine. It's huge and there's even yeah. a strategy guide and it has references to uh Sun Tzu's work in the back of it. It's beautiful. I I almost suspected that it might have actually included Sun Tzu's Art of War since it's so uh <laughs> I I believe that the engine um revolves around the basic principles of the Art of War. It does, yeah. Uh, their approaches to war, too, for uh, the characters you can choose are historically accurate as well. So that's pretty cool. Wow. That's that's pretty amazing. I actually, um, I fully credit the Ancient Art of War at Sea as being the um, exactly what got me into um, appreciating pirate stories and pirate lore and legends. Oh, yeah. I, I but- saw you playing the Ancient Art of War at Sea. You were... Uh, live casting it there on Twitch and I was impressed with the similarities but the differences. You know what? That was a pretty complex game. They they simplified a few things, but uh, mm. the trajectories and things, there's a lot to take into account. 
Yeah, I think actually um, a lot of... Uh, I'm going to take a look to see which one came first, just in case it might be wrong. But I'm pretty sure this predates Sid Meier's Pirates. Mm-hmm. And um, funny enough, as I look it up, uh, they came out the same year. They were in 1987, both of them, I'm which is shocked. really... Yeah, it is a little bit surprising because the actual naval battle is remarkably similar to each other. And we got to look at down to the month now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see any indication of the month, but uh, mm-hmm. it definitely surprises me that they came out the same year because uh, I would definitely have assumed that one would have influenced the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it looks like previous to that game, the only game that the uh, Murray brothers had done, oh, that's with their uh, company everywhere, Dave and uh, Barry and Dee Dee did the uh, Sierra Championship Boxing. But that's not pirate related at all. <laughs> Depending how you acquired the game, but... Um, <laughs> uh but yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, obviously they aren't quite comparable games in terms of overall because the Ancient Art of Four at Sea is focused on the naval battles and strategies and not so much the actual piracy. You don't really get to go out and pirate a whole heck of a lot. You just go out and blow ships up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is the, the first RTS or real-time strategy game, I mean, uh, Please show me one that was earlier than this, where you can you can set the ch- stage for your battle, and uh, mm-hmm. you know your uh, you define your troop strength and your position. You even define your terrain. Like, do you want your rivers to be shallow or fast, deep, slow? Do you want mm-hmm. your mountains to be low and safe or high and dangerous? You know, you can set up custom scenarios. Yeah, that's that's kind of like the really cool thing because uh, I I do know that. Uh, semantically speaking, if you do trace back the uh, the roots of the RTS genre, it does go back a little bit earlier than the uh, Ancient Art of War series. But when you think about the time that it came out and the games that would have come out around that time, the depth and complexity of these games are phenomenal. It's true. Yeah. Even even just at the beginning, you've got your race for the flags, and that's pretty basic. But you know what? You, you don't just win by capturing the enemy flag. You have a few choices. You can capture the enemy flag with a minimum amount of fighting. You can capture the enemy instead so that they're not able to capture your flag. Or you can keep the enemy divided so that they're not able to work together to capture your flag and, and get a victory that way. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's uh, similar with uh, Ancient Rewards. It's uh, this is actually kind of an interesting format because I think that uh, uh, I don't believe I've ever actually played the original Ancient Art of War, and I've never played Ancient Art of War at sea, not even once. You did, you did watch me play it, so you've got a little bit ahead on me. So we're basically talking about two very different games here. Uh, but this series, I think, doesn't get quite as much credit as it really should because um, obviously everyone remembers pirates uh and the subsequent pirates gold and then the uh, you know they keep remaking pirates by sid meyer uh and um you know that's kind of become the definitive pirate game because of course this like i said before ancient art of war at sea isn't really pirate but um and everyone credits dune 2 as being sort of like the grandfather of the modern rts which it kind of is but you know i think it's not unreasonable to say that you can kind of trace that lineage back 
to the ancient art of war. Yeah, I agree. Especially, I mean, you've got commands like view, time, surrender. You can uh, move, detach, or join with your group. News messages will flash up as you're playing, telling you what's going on. It's got mm -hmm. a lot of early similarities. Uh, now, I'm guessing in your game, you could uh, pick which leader you were up against. Yes, that is actually um, actually one of the things I really like about this game is uh, the uh, the selection of characters that you can go up against because you have the um I, I don't know what the enemies are in the um ancient art of war but um the the low the lowest class of um villain that you go up against or opponent I should say is uh Thorfoot <laughs> it's just this derpy Viking for some reason. I don't. I, they made him look like such a dunce. I think he's like cross-eyed. He's got like the this like slack jaw. Oh yeah. So his equivalent in mine would be the crazy Ivan. Ah uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Crazy Ivan was born into a family of Norwegian farmers, and uh, he earned his name because he shot the neighbor's milk cow. Okay, so he thought it was a reindeer. That's fine. Last time he was seen, he was leading a renegade band of tequila-soaked followers in search of the perpetual fountain of euphoria. In other words, completely useless and completely random. He's unpredictable and uses no logic and is super easy to defeat. <laughs> yeah. Um, super easy to defeat, but still just enough of a challenge for me when I play against Thorfoot, depending on... Um, the particular map that I'm playing, but um, let's see, we have who do we have? I think Thorfoot's the only actual fictitious character and um, who else do we have here? We have Horatio Nelson, John Paul Jones, Blackbeard, Martin Trump, and the Duke of Medina Sidonia. <laughs> That's I, I, a great combination. <laughs> Some fun to choose from those guys, man. So who who is the top guy? Who is the guy that uh, you'd have the hardest time uh, beating? Oh, I never played above Thorfoot. I, no, I, never, I never played I above never Crazy Ivan either. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm good at the game. As long as I stay with Ivan, we are totally cool. Yeah, I I, I never felt confident enough to upgrade from there. I'm just sort of like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think the challenge for me is just in the mission scenarios more mm -hmm. so than the actual, um, uh, you know, or not, not the challenge was there over, but rather the challenge was there enough for me. <laughs> so, uh, it really came down to, uh, the difficulty of the scenario. And yeah, I was not going to challenge anyone who actually knew what they were doing. Yeah, I would agree that the top guy here, Sun Tzu, if you try to fight with him, the advice it gives you in the book is he is very good and will be very challenging. Yeah, I mean, he literally wrote the book. Um, <laughs> I used he, to think I was so... He invented war. You can't... Uh, <laughs> he invented he is, war. Yes. He is the guy who wrote the book that the game was based on. I think it's going to be very difficult to defeat him. It's like playing chess master on expert. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah, it's like playing a chess master set to deep blue or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, not a lot of people have heard of these games, but uh, a lot of people, at least uh, in the circles that uh, tend to listen to this podcast, would have heard of Manhunter, because the people that made this game made Manhunter 1 and Manhunter 2. 
Right. And they are nothing like this. But no, I, no. I don't, do don't. appreciate the connection. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think they're anything the same, but they definitely are in, written by intelligent people. Yes. Rounding out the trifecta, or at least I assume it's a trifecta, I believe they also had an ancient R of War in the skies. They did. Have you ever played that one? That is completely has eluded me for the entire history of my life. I think it only had a international re- uh, or a German release uh, at first. I'm not sure that we even would have had access to it for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Are they even, um, is it the same people? Because I do notice that the publisher moved over to Microprose, whereas the first two were Broderbund. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it looks like, yeah, it was done by the same company. Er, uh, well, everywhere, which is owned by Dave Murray in title. Gotcha. Oh, right. I see. So everywhere is their, their thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Didi, who is often not mentioned, but uh, helped them out with a lot of the graphics and stories, and uh, apparently now uh, sells wildlife photographs, so she's still out there. Oh, wow. Okay, good stuff. That's Yeah, rumor has it there was going to be, okay, initially there was going to be a Manhunter 3, and they were going to work on it with the umbrella of everywhere, but this was back in the year 2000, and due oh. to legal restrictions, they ended up canceling the whole project, and then instead decided they were going to remake uh, the first and second Manhunter, but it, it didn't end up going through. I personally think they were just... 10 or 12 years too early on the draw for that kind of a project. If they'd have done it nowadays with the the resources or even in the early 2010s, they they might've done better. That's too bad that they never got a chance to remake the Manhunter games because those, um, uh, I hear nothing but good things, but the uh, interface is very severely dated. It is. It's really hard to go back to. I mean, it was really hard to play in the beginning. It's it's complicated, but a really satisfying game for those that were able to get through it. Mm-hmm. You know what's actually really um, amuses me about Ancient Art of War in the Skies as I read up on it here is that it takes place in World War One, and you can play as either the British or German forces and the top opponent that you can choose for that one, if you could choose anyone from World War One, who do you think would be your top opponent to choose in this game? Oh, anyone from World War One? Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know, Churchill? The answer, the correct answer is Sun Tzu. Seriously. Yeah. That, that timeline doesn't quite work with me. So, Here I am thinking, oh God, I need to research my history before these episodes now too. Damn it. <laughs> so if you really want to see how well you can take on Sun Tzu in World War One, um, In the sky. Yeah, in the sky, yes. In the sky. This might be, maybe it's a relative, but, you know, they give it liberties because it's a computer game. Mm. They just name them all Sun Tzu because it's easier that way. There's already a lineage. The name has a strong backing. <laughs> I don't know if this happens a lot in Ancient Art of War, but in Ancient Art of War at sea, if you do particularly well against the enemy, they will actually try to surrender. Mm-hmm. And you can just win the game right there. Yeah, that uh, happens too. Yeah. And I rarely ever take them up on that because by that point, I usually just want to like, you know, really teach them a lesson. Exactly. It's way more satisfying. Surrender. Ha! Just watch what I can do to you. (laughs) (laughs) 
another really cool thing, really ahead of its time, I imagine, is uh, I think you uh, either mentioned or alluded to it earlier, is that uh, not only does it have a lot of really customizable settings for the gameplay, but there's actually a level editor so you can create your own scenarios right down to actually like typing out the intro scroll to give the uh, context and lore behind the map. Like you have to, I think you have to choose the uh, pre-built maps. I don't think there's like a terrain editor, but you can choose like um, everything else about it. Hmm. Yeah, I I liked that because you'd make a well. Okay, you might not have. I would make a simple, really really easy one that I'd be guaranteed to win, and then I would gloat in my victory. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's that's how I win games, basically. But yeah, the fact that it gave you the option to do that and uh, make the game. Really, truly your own. I mean, looking back on it now, I, I'm not sure I even had an instruction booklet. So I think I just, mm-hmm. I kind of was winging it and I figured it out and I felt like I got good enough at it that it was more satisfying than frustrating to play. But as a grown up playing it again, I'm just like, wow, young Anna, well done, girl. Mine was like a two step process. I, uh, I was in the same boat, so I didn't have the instructions or anything to, and I basically had to figure it out back then i think uh that's when uh custom campaigns were really helpful because i did have the uh the extra security of creating these levels that were very difficult to lose <laughs> so like through... oh you want archers do you <laughs> you want archers huh no <laughs> so yeah so that's how that's how i learned to eventually kind of play the game uh enough to play the game but then i think it wasn't until like much later on when i revisited that i kind of understood a little bit more about how you're supposed to play it but uh you know based on what i learned back then that i learned how to play it at all was pretty impressive Hmm. i agree man kids in the 80s man some of us were really smart yeah then i don't know what happened to us (laughs) what the hell happened to us rick i don't know i don't know I, i wish i was still able to like pick things up and just yeah. use them, and suddenly I know how. <laughs> I just do it enough, and then you know how to do it, and then all of a sudden you're getting better, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> now I can't even follow instructions and do things. Exactly. <laughs> do you have any particular stories about your battles? My dad would sit with me, and we would strategize together. So uh, this was one game that he was able to get into uh, as much as I was. So he would help me with some positioning. I would play around with the speed. He would wander in and out. I can't think of any battles in particular, though. Mm-hmm. Mine, I wouldn't say there. I had any real singular experiences that um, didn't aren't just a matter of playing the game. But I think it was actually when I did that live stream a couple months ago, and you were there watching. I don't think at any point previous to then. In all the years that I've sort of been tinkering around the game and playing it every now and then, uh, there was one moment where I tried to, you know, you basically try to collide your ships if you want to go into a um, crew battle, or you could, you know, pick up, pick ships off from a distance with the cannons. But if you, you know, smash into them, you'll either engage in battle, or if you hit them hard enough, they'll actually sink. But I don't know what caused this. But for some reason, that time that I played it, when I collided into the enemy, it just blew up. 
like exploded. Awesome. Yeah, it was like jarring. It was like loud and bright and just like I was like, "What the hell just happened there?" I, I'm pretty so sure. You're telling me that you never encountered that playing. Oh, that, the game was the when you were that was the first time. That was the first time for me. Dude, I did not know that was sweet. possible. Yeah, I still don't know what caused that. So you said that you lacked the manual. Was this um was this a game that your that you or your parents had bought? When you were a kid, or is this that, or did you acquire it basically by the same means that I acquired my copy of Ancient Art of War at Sea? I believe um, my dad came home with it. Uh, a friend of his at the post office had uh, acquired an extra copy that magically was re- reproduced off of his own copy. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. So the old, the good old fashioned way. Yeah. Yeah. The, the <laughs> library. Yeah. Of sorts. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, so no books, no box, no references. It was as I've mentioned before on an amber monochrome screen. Yeah, I, 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 I was literally the next thing I was going to say. Like the, the in the all the glory of two colors, one of which is black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the game just it, it's got so many colors in the title screen. I remember the first time I, I YouTubed a video uh, of it later on. It was like, what game is this? <laughs> I kind of almost want to go back. Um, I, I tried tampering with DOSBox, and uh, you can set it to uh, monochrome, but it doesn't really quite... I couldn't get it to work quite properly, but I, I'd love to be able to play this again in the good old black and amber. Oh, yeah. Way to throw you back into the 80s for sure and just be like, whoa. Yeah, that would be really cool. I, I would totally hang out and grab myself a glass of orange juice and play some Ancient Art of War on an amber <laughs> monochrome screen. Mm-hmm. So how is that one set out? Like you basically just start. Um, I guess is it like uh, you mentioned the first one is kind of like a capture the crown kind of thing. I guess uh, I guess both games sort of start with one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just as one of the the preset scenarios. Uh, you can do Race for the Flags or the Battle of uh, Pharsalists. Feel free to write in and correct my spelling uh, or uh, pronunciation. The Elusive Spy, the Contest of the Gods. Uh, they're sort of all in the idea of Capture the Flag, but each one will have its own uh, objectives. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your archers and your knights, your barbarians, much the same as yours. So I think you have actually a little bit more depth to yours uh, because you actually have units and troops, whereas mine is just the uh, naval battle and crew. Mm-hmm. And in that crew, I think there's like you know slight variations. I think there's like um, uh, there's some guys who have blunderbusses, and then regular guys who just swarm and attack. But uh, <laughs> to hear, yes, it's really kind of interesting to hear that the previous game actually had different unit types and they kind of stepped down from that, but also kind of, uh, you didn't have like a secondary combat uh, other than just land battles, right? Yeah, just strategy and land battles. I mean, you could get a spy. He he was a soldier that could see twice as far as the others, but he was entirely defenseless. Oh, Okay. So it sets it up with a hierarchy. Archers are strongest against knights, knights against barbarians, barbarians against archers. Soldiers tire quickly if ordered to march fast. A squad on the hill has an advantage when fighting, and archers are needed to attack or defend a fort. But yeah, generally your goal is to defend the white flags and seize the enemy's black flags or defeat the enemy in battle. So it's a mix of the two. Right. 
because when you do the uh, crew battles in Ancient Art of War at Sea, it that's another capture the flag game. So basically, you can um, either wipe out all of your enemies, which is really highly risky, or you could uh, just have one guy touch the enemy's flag, and everyone just sort of goes, "Aw, we lost. <laughs> we didn't do good," and then suddenly you win. But um, so that's the so there's like a capture the flag mechanic in the actual uh, boat battles, provided that you lock up. But in the actual uh, capture the crown, it's pretty much the same except on the over map. So it's like as soon as you get your one ship over to the crown, and it's like, ah, damn it, they got our <laughs> crown. Why didn't we guard that better? Why did we just leave it lying on the floor there? If it's that important, why didn't we just take it with us? <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of things to consider for an older game. You got to think about your squad, uh, you know, standing, marching, encounter, fights, tired march, spy. They'll highlight when something is actively happening. And then you have a limited amount of time to go in and control the battle. If you're not there in time, the battle mm. will happen with its own AI and won't necessarily do what you want it to other than its original formation. That's right. Yeah. Because that was, uh, it got pretty hectic. Like, uh, especially back in the day, it was a lot easier because it was slower moving because I had like a really crappy computer uh, that moved really slow. But nowadays, it's like, man, you, it's, um, you know, like you said, it gives you prompts as to what's sort of kind of going on. Yeah. You know, enemy spotted over here. And it's like, oh, God, I got to get over there. I got to block them off because it's, if they so much as touch my crown, then everyone just gives up. So we got to make sure they don't get past here. You got to set up uh, blockades of ships <laughs> and uh, try to prevent anyone from getting past you or you're screwed. Yeah, because you can change the speed, but even the slow on the modern computer is faster than the fast was on our original game. You know, that's the only mm -hmm. reason we were actually good at a lot of those games is because <laughs> gotcha. they were so slow. <laughs> even in, um, totally on a tangent here, but even on Space Quest 3, uh, I used to always play that on the uh, Amber Monochrome. And people I heard many years later would complain about that one little circular corridor you walk through and I had no mm -hmm. idea why they're complaining about that. They said it was like, you know, really frustrating and annoying. I had no idea why. And then <laughs> I played it like a couple weeks ago or a week ago, even something like that, like really recently. And I got to that point on the modern computer and I was like, whoa, holy crap. This is actually, I have to like crank the speed down to get mm -hmm. it to match the speed of my old computer or else I'm useless. I can't do anything here. Yeah. It's way off. It just goes to show how much patience we had back then too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what it took like two minutes to cross the screen or something like that. <laughs> yeah, like even back to King's Quest Four, I imagine it was much easier climbing up to uh, Lolot's castle because mm -hmm. uh, you could make it so slow. But on the modern computer, it's really hard to get up there. Yeah. What do you figure about um, if you were to try to play Ancient Art of War again today? Do you think it would still hold up for you? Do you think? Uh, how about and. On that same thought, do you think a new player who has obviously um, a little bit of uh, inclination towards classic games, do you think uh, anyone could sort of get into this and have as much fun as we would still have with it? Oh, let me put it into context. I think it's a complex game. I think 
once you understand that it has a bit of a learning curve and you, you put time <laughs> into it, it's feasible. I think like if I were to sit down and spend an hour or two playing it and I got over the, the bit of nostalgia that will get me through that first little while, I think it's viable that uh, I could get into this game again. As far as showing somebody new that's never played old games it might be a bit of a push you'd probably have to well, limit their experience. more like more like um or like they they didn't play these games but they would still have an inclination for classics like they're not just ooh fortnite kind of people like they would just they would like <laughs> appreciate they are classic gamers they just never played these ones like how how well do you think how well do you imagine those people would really uh take to these starting now I think that there's enough interest, color, and story to uh, to get somebody interested enough to play it. Uh, yeah, I, I think somebody would enjoy this game, even nowadays with uh, all the limitations. Understanding that although it's not as complicated as far as AI goes as a lot of the newer games, appreciating the history that's within it would probably help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, I'm finding it hard in my head to really justify it to new um, audiences, even if they are classic gamers. It's just, it's so, it does come across a bit primitive. So there might be some people who do really like it, but, uh, and I know I still love it. I still had a really good time when I played it recently. And I actually really like this sort of thing. Like I, I don't like RTSs generally uh, because it was kind of cool at the beginning, the whole base building and resource management, but now I really don't have the patience for that. So I just like giving my troops and see if I could win this thing. That's all I care about. Yeah. Well, I think I'm more positive because a couple of days ago, I was watching somebody stream from a, a Facebook group called uh, Big Box uh, PC Game Collectors. And uh, he was streaming a Star Trek game from the late 1970s. And it was all text-based and very complicated and very, very technical. And he was just saying, yeah, you know what? You just watch and you get the hang of it. And it's actually a really interesting game. And, and when it comes down to it, you know, this, this isn't nearly as difficult or as technical. It actually has graphics, sound and pictures. So, you know, if, if a new person can get into an old Star Trek game, then I think there's a chance for this one too. I thought, yeah, I suppose it's possible. I guess he's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't doubt its possibility. I just I, I'd really have to be discerning about whom I would recommend it to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I, I know there I are would... some people who like refuse to uh, get into text parser games and who are just so like ew, sixteen color EGA, <laughs> mm, point and click and VGA forever. And people oh, that's just, the other you know, thing I didn't bring up. No mouse, hey? If anybody wants to play oh, this God, and they yeah. want to dig out the mouse and just start <laughs> clicking on things randomly, this game is not for you. Yeah, that's part of the challenge for sure. <laughs> uh, we, we talked about games by these guys that uh, really need an update. And uh, yeah, I guess everything that they've made really need an update. But um, absolutely for sure. It's just, uh, it'd be, I, I totally thought uh, the first time I played, like in the mid-2000s, First time I replayed it, uh, I totally thought it was like, oh, now that I have a mouse, it'll be so much easier. And yeah, that <laughs> did not turn out. That's what hit me too when I reinstalled it. I just sat down, I grabbed the mouse, and then I remembered all of a sudden in that one second, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh man. All right. Um, any any final thoughts on the ancient art of war? I think uh, without games like the ancient art of war, you wouldn't end up with games like Warcraft or Starcraft. Uh, it's an essential beginning to what ended up being a genre that has sucked many thousands of hours from many of us dedicated players. Mm. So, uh, you know, if you're interested in history and uh, you want to learn a little bit about war strategies, pick it up and give it a try as long as you can find it. Mm -hmm. And there are games that don't even really get enough credit for that either. Mm -hmm. They kind of uh, they kind of say Dune two and then cut off there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, games <laughs> like StarCraft and Dune two, you know, stuff like that. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I definitely agree. These these were definitely some of the prototypes, the little seedlings that grew into, uh, you know. And, and granted, they say Dune two because you still see so much of Dune two in uh, modern. RTSs, but uh, you know, it's something that had definitely been around since well before then. And this is, um, you know, even if it's not quite as refined and quite as um, elaborate in the resource management, these games definitely, you know, uh, between Ancient Art of War going into the RTS genre and the um, Ancient Art of War at Sea, possibly fueling into pirate games. I think they're really the fact that there's people who don't even really know about them or haven't played them. Or don't know much about them, I think, is really kind of um, uh, a bit of an injustice there. Did uh, you ever call the company name Border Brown or Border Bund? That's what I used to call them. No, I'm I'm pretty sure I always knew them as Broder Bund. Oh well, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> That's like the the Dynamics, yeah, Paul. I'm with you on that one. I did not have a clue until you guys said it in the podcast episode. Uh, that although it's Dynamics, to to be honest, I really am just reading it as the letters on the box. Who knows? Like, there's like <laughs> accents and stuff, so I could be pr pronouncing it totally off. It could be like Bruderbund or something like that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Bruderbund. <laughs> so it's Broderbund because I'm you know. Canadian. Yeah. And that makes um, sense. Actually reading the words on the page, that that's a good idea. I should I should try that too. <laughs> uh same guys who did uh Karotica. So Broderbund was like a big part of my gaming past. Karotica is amazing. Hey, at least that one you can still play in Amber Monochrome as long as you download the app from the Play Store. That's right. I I, I wish there was enough to that game to do an episode about that one, but there isn't. No, but you know what? It at least it got a little shout out right here and now. That's exactly, it. Karatika, good game. If you didn't play it, check it out. Uh, get the app or check it out online because uh, it's got some twists. You know, <laughs> it's a little bit unexpected, and there's a bird and karate. Oh God, yeah. I I'd love to do like a ten minute episode about that one. <laughs> yeah, to do like a mini series of games that don't deserve a whole episode, but you could, you know, do little mini hits with them. We've been wanting to do something like that. We just never really mm -hmm. get around to it. Or we'll just do like, you know, 10 to 15 minute episodes for Patreon or something. Mm -hmm. By the way, we have a Patreon. Uh, if you go to Patreon and look up Classic Gamers Guild, we're on there. And speaking of Patreon, all of our Patreon donations... Uh, for this month, the month of March, will be donated to the Quest for Kidney fundraiser. I will be redirecting all Patreon contributions to this fundraiser, as well as 
likely donating on top of that, depending on what I can afford. These are some interesting times right now, and I know that finances are a little bit uh, iffy for a lot of people. Uh, but I do hope people will come out to join us on Saturday, March 28th. It'll be on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Classic Gamers Guild. For more information, check us out on Twitter at the CG Guild. We're on Facebook. We have a page and a group. We are on Instagram sometimes at CGG Podcast. And we have an email address if you want to write to us, mail at classicgamersguild.com. Nobody paid me to say this. Save early, save often. Don't do a murder.